Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes it's good for us to reflect on our lives as Christians, take stock of where we are at in our devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to ask ourselves, as I look at my life, Do I see someone who's committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I here this morning because I'm just going through the motions of the Christian life? Or am I here this morning because I'm committing myself to the service of the Lord? As we'll see this morning from our text The Lord Jesus wants committed followers. He's calling us to be committed followers of him. He's telling us that we cannot go halfway in the Christian life. He wants us to understand that being a Christian is not something you do one day a week or even five days a week. Being a Christian, a follower of Christ, is a complete way of life. It's a way of life devoted to our Savior who has made us his own by his blood. So this morning I preached to you God's word under the following theme and points. As his disciples, Christ calls us to follow him above everyone and everything else. We'll look at, first of all, loving Christ above everyone else, and second of all, faithfully carrying our cross. Now, at this point in his ministry, Christ's popularity was rising in Israel. He had healed many people, he cast out many demons, and he taught with authority. And the people seemed to love him. In fact, our text says, that great crowds followed him. And that, of course, was not an isolated event. This happened more often. Just a few chapters back, Jairus ran up to Christ, asking him to heal his daughter. However, the text says great crowds had followed the Lord Jesus. They wanted to get uh, as close to Christ as possible. And when a sick woman reached out to touch the Lord, Christ asked, Who touched me? And Peter kind of scoffed at the question, saying, Master, the crowd surround you. They're pressing in on you. That is to say, Who touched me? Everyone's touching you. They're, they're surrounding you. They're, they want to get close to you, continually bumping into you. And that was often the situation for Christ in his ministry. Many people seem to want to follow him. That's what we have in our text. But when Christ saw the crowds, he turned and spoke to them. And he said some, some rather shocking words. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, He cannot be my disciple. Again, those are 
Those are startling words, aren't they? Why would the Lord Jesus say these things? Well, let's first of all be clear on what Christ is not saying. He's not contradicting other teachings of Scripture. He's not contradicting the command for children to honor their parents. He's not going against the command for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And some people have used texts like these to, for instance, ignore family obligations. That's not what we're called to do. However, saying that is not meant to explain away the force of Christ's words. He's getting our attention. He's teaching us something important about our devotion to Him. And these words show us, first of all, something about the person of Christ. He's not merely a man. He's also true God. Only God can legitimately demand this type of devotion that Christ demands here. And yes, Christ's words may have turned some people in that great crowd away from Him. Maybe they stopped following Him. But Christ is not interested in mere numbers of people following him. He's not like a modern celebrity, someone interested in having more fans simply to increase his own fame. No, he was not trying to put on a traveling miracle show to wow the crowds. Christ wants true disciples, true followers. We want to make sure the crowds and us as well are following him for the right reason. So he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now by using these words, Christ is making a comparison between the love we have for him and the love we have for other people. We are to love him first and foremost above everyone else. Now there's an interesting analogy in the book of Genesis. The patriarch Jacob was married to both Rachel and Leah. And Genesis 29 verse 30 says that Jacob loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. But the very next verse says that Leah was hated. So Jacob was married to both of them. First it says he loved uh, Rachel more than Leah. And then the next verse says that Leah was hated. So what it means is the love Jacob had for the, each, each of them when compared with each other was no match. Rachel took first place in his heart when it came to Rachel and Leah. And that's how it is to be with us in Christ and other human relationships. Christ is to take first place. One commentator put it this way, whenever we face a choice between doing what our families want and what Jesus wants, our supreme affection must be for Christ alone. Now, how might we fail to show Christ this type of devotion? Well, if a family member or friend encourages you encourages you in some way not to follow the Lord, 
and you do as they wish, that person is getting in the way of your devotion to Christ. And if, say, for example, you're willing to compromise obedience to Christ for the sake of your spouse, Christ is taking second place in your life to your spouse. And if raising your children is more about your own glory than God's glory, Christ is taking second place to your children. Christ is Christ must take first place in our lives. Now, this calling Christ places on us seems very difficult. How can we do this? Well, first of all, we should see that there is a paradox here. Now, what's a paradox? Paradox can be a statement that seems to contradict itself, but is actually true. You know, we might wonder, how can Christ say that we must hate these people? Aren't we supposed to show love for others? That's what God commands us to do. However, the reality is, if we love other people more than Christ, it will not result in true love for them. If we love other people more than Christ, it is not true love for that person. In fact, our love for them will actually, in the end, fail. If we show devotion to other people more than to Christ, we have put that person in the place of God. Turn someone into an idol. But other people cannot satisfy us or fulfill us in the way that Christ can, and all idols will fail us at some point. When that happens, the love people had will likewise fail. And showing someone greater devotion than to Christ is also not good for that person. That person will get the message that they are more important than Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And that's not loving towards that person. Everyone must know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we can communicate that to other people by our actions, that he is most important, that he takes first place, he is Lord, he is Savior. When we show absolute devotion to Christ, we, as it were, are telling other people, this is someone you must follow too. Come to him. He's the Savior. I'm going to follow him. Come with me. Follow him. Put your trust in him. Come join me following the Savior of the world. Well, this highlights the other side of the paradox. Loving Christ above everyone else actually results in true love for others. And we see this in the life of Christ himself. Oh, Jesus Christ loved God the Father. In fact, he loved him with a perfect love. No one and nothing was going to get in the way of his devotion to God the Father. His love for God the Father was so absolute, it was no comparison to the love he had for other people, including, for example, his own mother Mary. And this absolute devotion and love for God the Father meant that Christ was going to obey the Father 
no matter what. We see this in his life. Take, for example, his time in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was there that Christ's soul was overcome with suffering and trouble. And he knew it was his Father's will for him to go to the cross. Imagine if in that moment Christ said, I know the Father wants me to go to the cross, but what about Mary? Who's going to take care of her? I must take care of her. I cannot give up my life. She needs me. I cannot obey God in this. Would that be true love for Mary? No. Mary needed a Savior too. So did all God's people. If Christ put Mary first, so to speak, it would not be true love for her. But Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed to his Father, not as I will, but your will be done. Again, perfect devotion to God the Father. And that obedience meant going to the cross. But at the same time, this act also was the most loving for other people. By going to the cross, he obeyed God the Father perfectly, and he also paid for our sins so that we might have eternal life. And yes, by going to the cross, Christ had to let go of Mary, so to speak. Required trust. The thing is, God still took care of Mary even though Christ did this. Read about that in John 19. Christ was on the cross. He saw his mother Mary and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Almost certainly the disciple John. He said to Mary, woman, behold your son said to John, behold your mother. That is to say, John, you need to take care of Mary now. From that hour, John took Mary into his home. Christ's absolute devotion to God the Father was the best thing also for Mary. It's the same paradox for us. Our devotion to Christ is meant to be absolute. It takes priority over every other human relationship. And the ironic thing is that when we do this, when our life is committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are absolutely committed to following the Lord Jesus Christ, it turns us into people who do the most loving things for our neighbor. Our devotion to Christ will result in loving acts to other people. It will. So take care. Don't let other human relationships get in the way of your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's easy to make other people more important in our hearts than the Lord Jesus. But Christ must come first always. Brings us to our next point. So Christ calls us to show devotion to him above everyone else. But that's not all he told the crowds. He also told them, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, if the first thing Christ said did not surprise the crowds, then this surely would have. Uh, Carrying a cross was done by somebody about to be crucified. And it would be a familiar image to the people listening to the Lord Jesus. The Romans crucified people regularly. It was a public testimony to any 
to everyone about what happened to someone who defied Roman rule. And people condemned to death by crucifixion, they had to carry their cross uh, through the city. They would be publicly humiliated, deprived of all their rights and possessions. And they would walk on their way to their own death. We also saw something of that in John 19, Christ carrying his cross, rejected by people, mistreated. And Christ tells the crowd, be prepared. Being my disciple means living this kind of life. You know, we often hear people say that they have a, a cross to bear in life. Perhaps they refer to some kind of medical, medical condition. But that's not really at the heart of what Christ is talking about. Bearing our own cross is about suffering for the sake of the Lord Jesus. It means actively following Christ in this life. Many times the Gospels tells us that Christ set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew he was going to suffer and die there, but he went anyways. He walked on hard road of obedience. He laid down his life for us. And carrying our cross means likewise laying down our lives for others for Christ's sake. It means being willing to be publicly identified with uh, the Lord Jesus. It means being willing to be known as a Christian. Even though it might mean ridicule. Ridicule from others, shame, threats, or even violence means following Christ even though it might cost you your life here on earth. It means suffering because we are devoted to the Lord Jesus. That's what happened to the 12 uh, disciples later on in their lives. Before Christ was crucified, they thought they were going to gain worldly glory by being followers of Christ. Maybe they expected Christ to take the throne in Jerusalem. It would be like a golden age, like in the time of Solomon. But after the Holy Spirit was poured out, then they understood. Glory would come, but only when Christ came a second time. And for the time being, they lived as aliens and strangers on the earth. And many of them suffered greatly for the sake of Christ. And many of them died for the faith. Might be the same for us one day too. It can be tempting to avoid this kind of life. When you're at school, when you're at university or at work, wherever you are, there can be pressure to hide away your Christian identity. Right? Openly confessing to be a Christian, acting like a Christian, it, it will invite ridicule. Some kind of harassment, maybe. It can mean loneliness as others try to exclude you for your faith and devotion to the Lord. But if we try hide away our Christian identity for the sake of fitting in with others, we're not carrying our cross as the Lord Jesus calls us to. Again, this is not something easy to do, is it? It's not something we can do in our own strength, but we're not alone in this. 
God has given us his Holy Spirit through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will empower us to live this way for Christ's glory. Ask the Father to work in you by the Holy Spirit. He's promised to give an increasing measure of the Spirit to those who ask him. Another thing we must do is hold on to God's promises in Jesus Christ. Remember, we have eternal life in him. 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Fix your hearts and your minds on these precious promises. It's these promises of God, living by faith in these promises, that allows us to live this kind of life. Think of what Hebrews 11 says about those who lived by faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated whom the world was not worthy. They could only live this way because they were living by faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They live by faith in God's salvation. This is what allows us to count the cost of being a disciple and, and to live as one. And Christ does advise us to count the cost. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Right? Building a tower is something you commit to. It's a cost of building a tower. You, you have to take that into account when you start building. Make sure you can follow through to the end. It's the same thing with being a disciple of Christ. Understand, yeah, there might be a cost. There is a cost. You want to make sure you commit to this and follow Christ to the very end. You want to make sure you don't give up halfway because you weren't aware of what it might cost you. It might cost all that you have. But understand that it's worth it. It's worth it. Christ uses another illustration. He said, what king going out to encounter another king in war will not Sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the second illustration, the king looked at the situation and said to himself, I don't have a choice. Surrender is the only option I really have. That's also what it's like following Christ. Yes, the cost seems high, but it's the only sensible thing to do. The cost of not following Christ is far greater. Christ finishes his two parables by saying, So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Christ is calling for your devotion above everything else. More than your career, your possessions, your hobbies, 
What are you clutching on to that's getting in the way of following the Lord Jesus? Give Christ full control of all that you have. The thing is, you won't be disappointed. Those who live for Christ in this life will not be put to shame. The Lord ends this section with a parable about salt. Seems like a funny addition right at the end. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It's thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We might wonder, how can salt lose its taste? The salt we use always tastes salty. But at the time of Christ, salt was gained from evaporated water from the Dead Sea. And you were then left with a salty compound you could use for salt. However, the salt could leach out of the compound. You were left with something that was essentially useless without the salty taste. So what's the point of Christ that he's making? If salt is to be true salt, it must be salty. And if we are to be true disciples of Christ, then we must truly follow him. What does Christ say three times here? If you don't do such and such, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't do these things, you're like salt that isn't salty anymore. So heed the call of Christ. Follow him. Put him first. And yes, that's a difficult calling Christ has put on us. Again, how can we do this? It requires trust, faith in Christ. Think for a moment of a father and his young child. One afternoon in the summer, they go swimming at the local pool. The child wants to jump off the diving board, but he's scared. What does his father do? goes in the pool, the edge of the diving board, he, he holds out his hands. He says to his son, jump son, trust me, I'll catch you. And the son has learned that his father is trustworthy. His father is loving. His father cares for him. And so the child, even though he's a little scared, jumps into his father's arms. Beloved, Christ is trustworthy. He's shown that he loves his people supremely. Christ gave up his life completely so that we would have eternal life. He went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, suffered unspeakable pain and agony so that we would be freed from the punishment of hell. Right now, he's preparing a place for us in his father's house. So he's saying, you can trust me. I love you. If I did that for you, do you think I would tell you these things for your harm? No. To make your life miserable? No. Far from it. Trust him. Follow him. Live for him. Amen.